You're listening to the Oilfoot Basics Discover podcast. Produced in collaboration with Digital Wildcatters, this is the podcast where we learn something new about our incredible industry on every single episode in an endeavor to never stop learning. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to episode 53 of the Oilfoot Basics Discover podcast. I'll be learning right alongside of you today on the topic of oil field supply chain. So definitely this isn't one that we've covered yet on the show, so I'm pretty excited to dig into this topic. We've got Ryan Hunt with me today. He's founder and CEO of Rig Callout. So I'll be pulling him on the line here in just a minute. Before we dive into the topic, though, just a couple of announcements. First off, um, definitely stick around for next week. Definitely listen to next. I think it's going to be next week's podcast. We're going to be releasing some big news. Um, and with those big news comes some big picture future ideas and, and <laughs> things. So just stick around for that episode. Definitely going to be Big news there, um, so stick around. <laughs> That's all, all I can say at the moment about that. But anyways, uh, beyond that, I do want to encourage you guys. Again, I never know how long um, you guys have been listening to the podcast, um, how many episodes you've heard, and even when the last time was that I mentioned this. But um, in case you aren't aware, I just want to remind you guys that um, on our website, oilfootbasics.com, we actually have you know a bunch of different... Well, you can find all these podcast episodes there also, but we've got videos. Um, we've also got a library of courses. Um, so we've got um, we, we, a couple of courses from Floco, which is a artificial lift company. Um, so we've got a couple of courses from them on plunger lift basics, gas lift basics, um, and also gas lift optimization. Those are all on the website and free. We got a, a, a good handful of people in those courses and seems to be very valuable. And those are all video format. Um, we've also got a small course um, on uh, how mineral rights are valued. Um, that was actually done by a former guest on the show. And so you can find that on there as well. That's also free. And then we've got two courses that are are, are paid uh, just because they're, a whole, they're, they're more dense in a sense. Uh, they're longer courses. We've got uh, first off oil and gas economic evaluation. So that's literally in a video format showing you how to create an economic model um, about oil and gas operations and, and 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 much more. So it literally walks you through that. It gets you familiar with the terminology uh, that is used on, on financial economic evaluations on projects in the industry and, and so much more. So it's a very valuable course there. That's available. And also um, there's a course that Sebastian and I designed at the very, very beginning of Oilfield Basics that is designed to basically tie the upstream oil and gas industry together for you. So you know, if you're trying to find stuff on YouTube, there, there's nothing really that does that. There's nothing really on the internet that ties it together. Um, but this course is is literally meant to tie all the main operations together. So everything from even permitting, you know, all the pre-drill stuff all the way through drilling and, and the basics of drilling and directional drilling and the tools, the basic tools they use all the way through frac and production and P&A um, and, and even water display. I mean, we cover a bunch of different topics in that and just tie it all together. So that's a good mix of um, video and um, text and images and, and diagrams. And so we basically put it together how we would like to have learned whenever we first got into the industry. So check those courses out, guys. Those are always available to you at oilfieldbasics.com. Check them out. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I don't do that on every episode. Um, the other thing I'll say, um, I always encourage you guys to reach out to me, leave a review on the show, but also reach out to me. Um, I can get, <laughs> I'd love to learn more about who's listening to the podcast. And then also, you know, if you guys have feedback in terms of you know, what you guys like about the show or topics you would recommend or things you want to hear about. Um, also, if you have any suggestions for uh, show layout going forward. So that's some, uh, that's one of the things that we're currently evaluating um, if and what changes um, regarding the podcast. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also uh, contact at oilfoodbasics.com is our email. So just a couple ways you can get a hold of me there, but I look forward to hopefully hearing from some of you and, and, and your, your feedback. So 
that's pretty much all I have announcement wise. Um, like I said, stick around for next week. <laughs> stick around for next week. It probably won't be a full episode. It'll just be an ep- like a shorter episode about that that news and, and everything surrounding that. So anyways, without further ado, again today, like I said, we are going to be talking about oil field supply chain management. So we've got Ryan Hunt on the phone with me today, founder and CEO of a company called Rig Callout. So Ryan, how's it going today? Going well, Derek. Thanks for, for having us on. I appreciate uh, you reaching out. Absolutely. And this is you're doing like a little podcast, um, <laughs> like a run. You're doing a whole bunch. You've been on what? How many podcasts at this point? You've been on quite oh, a few. I think you're probably <laughs> our fourth. These are really fun. There we go. <laughs> All right. So if you really like this topic, there's a handful of other ways that you can find out about you know their company, what they're doing, and, and Ryan his background and supply chain in general. Um, with even uh, Colin and Jake, right? You've been on that. So those are our digital wildcatters partners uh, with this with this show. So. Check them out there and a handful of other podcasts. But anyways, so tell us a little about uh, yourself and your background, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so I've been in I've been in oil and gas for uh, 12, 13 years. I spent about 10 years in the pipe business. So we were, a, we were a stocking distributor of downhole tubing and casing as well as line pipes. So we were very heavily involved in, you know, last mile logistics for upstream companies, offshore operators as well as midstream and a, and a handful of downstream companies as well. So awesome. kind of got to get our boots dirty, get our hands dirty, um, and, and shipping our goods out to, to, to rigs as well. Awesome. Um, I left, I left the pipe business in early 2017, actually to, um, work with my wife for a while, help her with her company, kind of grow her company out, restructure, rebrand, redirect, and uh, what I thought at the time was to create some flexibility in my schedule. And, you know, boy, was I wrong. So uh, <laughs> I, I, her, her client was more of a, of a local, um, local entrepreneur, local business. Uh, she did uh, also some uh, large corporate Fortune 500 companies as well. And I would, I would still get calls from guys out on the rig and uh, just old customers of mine asking what I was doing. And you know, we would, we would talk for, you know, 30 or 60 minutes. And I just, I really, really missed the people in the industry and just the, mm-hmm. uh, the candid conversations, the, um, <laughs> laid back. <laughs> yeah. There's just, there's no political correctness, you know, and anything is fair <laughs> game and conversation and, and that's important, you know? And, and so, um, it, it about three months into it, I just I really came to the conclusion that I had to get back into the industry. I didn't want to do uh, what I had been doing. I wanted to do something mm-hmm. different, and um, and I'm just I'm a I'm a guy that likes a complicated puzzle. Take a twelve thousand piece puzzle, <laughs> throw it on the table, and tell me I can't do it. And you know, and that just that gets me focused and and excited. Yeah, and. Uh, and that's what I did. What was the biggest problem that, that I faced in oil and gas and that, you know, I heard other people challenged with, and that was the last mile of, of logistics. And that is, you know, getting, getting anything out to a rig or to a right of way is not address to address or, you know, man, I hope my jeans show up <laughs> before the weekend so I can wear them. You know, this is, yeah. this is very much time is money and, and mistakes and delays cost you know, cost as much as our cars. And, um, and so, so that intrigued me. That was a problem that I really thought that I could tackle. 
And, you know, I just, I buried myself in my basement and my computer and I just started kind of going to town with, you know, what would this look like from a, from a pipe guy's perspective and what kind of information would I see valuable? What were the questions my customers always called me with and asked me and how could I automate that? And, you know, I just, I spent about three months doing that. I, I printed it out, made a bunch of copies and, you know, I still look at those things to this day going, wow, a lot's changed. Uh, I can't, yeah. I can't believe I've gotten this far, but you know, I went on a 2,500 mile road trip. I just jumped in my car and packed a <laughs> bunch of snacks and suitcases and, you know, drove from, from basin to basin and went out to old customers and people that I had, I had met with over the years and, and just, you know, showed it to him. I said, Hey, what, what do you think? Would this be valuable? Would you use this? What, what additional information from, from your side of the business would be valuable? What, what's the value creation here? And, you know, I, I arrived back in St. Louis seven or nine days. I can't even remember how long it took me to do that, but, um, you know, I just, I got back in and it was okay. This is go time. This is serious. People would like to use this. I see the value from the distribution side, whether it's pipe or valves or fittings or bits or mats or whatever, it's it all gets shipped out to a remote GPS coordinate on a semi truck, and mm-hmm. um, and so I I I went out, I I got funding, I had no network of of anything, I went out and I found you know developers, I went out, I found investors, I went out, I found business partners, I went out and found you know people and. Um, and board members and all those exciting things that you need on your team and your group to, to build a successful product. And then the rest was history. Mm, that's pretty cool. I'm sure you, that's probably a lot about what, what you talked about on, um, on gas startups podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. The origin story. Of, um, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody's interested in, uh, cause I've, I've been able to see, you know, see how that all flashed out and, and how you found people and, and got all that lined out and everything. Um, so you can check out their, that podcast, um, for more information on that. Um, one thing, what was I going to ask? <laughs> There's, um, so let's, let's, I guess before we start diving into, you know, more of the, the specifics of, of simple, how you, how you and your company and, and the product that you created then simplifies all this, this network, let's get a little bit more of a background on, supply chain itself and so i think we kind of got a couple hints into the, this side of the industry and your your story um but then also let's just kind of you know so what is supply chain overall like what is it trying to accomplish or control um or change and, and kind of i'm sure the answer is everywhere but you know kind of where does this specifically fit in the industry or where we're seeing this being used i'm just trying to help place it for myself and also other listeners yeah i think that's that's kind of a a three-pronged answer which is where have we been (laughs) where are we now and where are we going and you know the the days of um of the family legacy oil company you know it's run by family it is owned by families and you know it is supported by families and people is it, it it was okay 15, 20, 30 years ago. Now with the introduction of, of private capital and even, even to a degree public, public markets, it's what is my money being spent on? You know, what, what are you, what are you doing to protect my investment and my capital? And that's not a question I believe that was, that was being asked 30 years ago. And, you know, and, and a lot of that is, you know, you had major market swings. You had, 
$30 oil, you probably have less than that. You had $150 oil. And those swings allow for people to make gobs of money. And, you know, what, what you see today is a swing between, you know, high 40s, low 70s. And, and from what I can, oil price, oil prices. Yes. And what, yeah. what I can see is, is, is oil has kind of fallen into the, to the gas arena, which is gas prices really haven't changed that much over the last 10 years. Fundamentally. I mean, they've been flying in between, you know, a dollar and $3 for, for as long as I've been in the industry. And, you know, I had, I had come into the industry, I think after it had fallen from 12 and, you know, you just, you don't see those swings today. So, you know, the unique perspective that, that we get as an organization is a global view of the supply chain, not just what does the supply chain look like for an, an oil and gas company, but what does it look like for a service and supply company or an OFS company or a transportation company? And we get to hear all, all those opinions, all of those viewpoints, all of those strategies. And it gives us a really unique perspective of, you know, today companies are trying to become efficient, but it is a very, very loud arena. There's a lot of stuff happening and there's a lot of problems mm-hmm. to fix. And, and some of the most common comments that I get from the larger organizations is we have so many things to fix and so many things to find that we can only do so much. And so they're kind of in this, this fast track mode, of, mode, you know, yeah. fix drilling, fix completions, fix production, fix SCADA, fix operations, fix our rigs, fix mm-hmm. our people, fix our investors. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot of chaos happening and, and companies are really, really working towards more of a, of a manufacturing business model. So, you know, not drill, 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 you know, let's add 50 rigs when oil prices go up, you know, $50. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's maintain our 20 rig program. You know, if oil prices go up, you know, we keep our rig count where, where it's at. If it goes down, you know, we create even more efficiencies and maybe we drill the same amount of wells with, you know, 19 Mm -hmm. rigs versus 20 rigs. So, so I, I believe from what I'm hearing that the industry is going to go into more of a flattened kind of cycle rather than these heavy ups and downs that we've seen in in history. Mm. And, you know, we, we even hear this from the OFS companies, which is, you know, we don't want to be a pipe company, nor can we, because I think the new generation of petroleum engineer and just consumer of those products doesn't really care where they came from. You know, there's obviously an element of cost. There's an element of quality. There's an element of relationships. But, you know, people have over the last decade started to care less about, you know, I want domestic steel versus Korean or Japanese or, um, you know, Russian steel that it all comes from the same places in the very, very beginning. It's just where is the entity that owns it coming from? You know, are they based in the U.S. but bringing pipe over from Russia and calling it domestic? That's. Hmm. I think people are becoming more aware aware of how this process works, and so they're starting to care a lot less. And as the industry moves to more of a manufacturing mode, it's you know, 
just get me the most cost effective product that I can get out here. That's not going to fail or cause me problems. And so, you know, a pipe company is a pipe company, a valve company is a valve company. And, you know, you're starting to see them operate like the insurance industry as of today, you know, health insurance, Mm -hmm. it all comes from the same place at the same price, no matter who you go to, it's the, it's the services that they add, the value add that they, they provide you, which is, you know, we'll handle your HR, we'll add legal in there, we'll give you advisement, we'll do all these additional things that the other insurance broker won't do or can't do or doesn't do. And, and you're starting to see them become more of a service company while they provide a product, you're starting to see them, you know, really seek out that value proposition. How can we be a better pipe company, not a better mill or a better product, but how do we be a better service to our clients? Mm. Trucking companies, Mm. same, same thing, value proposition. How can we be a better trucking company? They're all the same. They, whether you're, you're writer or, you know, a small local hotshot company, it's, it's really all the Mm -hmm. same because they all use each other. They all consume each other's freight to get it out to location. A writer might utilize that same local hotshot guy for some of their freight, you know? And so um, the industry is kind of in an, an identity crisis when it comes to the supply chain. Like, who are we? What are we doing? Where are we going? And then the, the third part of that question is where are we going is to a more of a manufacturing model. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing companies, you know, actively seeking out marketplaces to, you know, procure their products directly from the manufacturer. So, you know, if I'm an operator that, that has an asset economical at $50 oil and it drops below $50, mm-hmm. the most logical place for us to cut those costs is within our supply chain. It's, you know, it's our, our services. So from a marketplace perspective, if a manufacturer is, you know, selling off of a marketplace, the distributor is not there. And so whatever that margin is, whether it's 3%, 6%, 40% has been wiped out. And so can I make my, my operations economical at a much lower rate, whether that's, you know, $1 gas or $40 oil, because we are now thinking about um, very, very high level ways of doing business. Is it better to buy from the manufacturer? Is it better to get it off a marketplace? You know, is it better to create transparency in the last mile? I, the, the, the super majors are looking at things such as, you know, not, not um, contract award, but contract execution, which means, not what's the price that you quoted me and that you're invoicing me, but when this whole thing is done, did you actually do what you said you were going to do? You know, did you actually get our product out to location without costing us rig time, headaches, pains, problems? You know, did, did your late delivery result in other vendors, um, creating additional costs or opportunity costs or loss through that process. You know, suppliers tend to think of themselves, you know, it's, it's not my five trucks that are late to location that created additional costs. They don't think about the hundred trucks behind their five trucks waiting to get unloaded because they were late, you know, and that is, 
that is an additional cost to the operator for for that happening but it's also an opportunity cost so if you have a small local midland forklift guy who is mm-hmm. waiting four hours for a truck you know he may lose business from another job that he has to go to later that afternoon because he was stuck waiting for that truck and so i think as as, as the future of the industry and the supply chain it's really looking at how can we bring some visibility? How can we bring data into the industry and efficiencies to remove some of those things that we can't predict when we award a contract, you know, and then use those metrics to define the next contract. So did you do what you said you were going to do? And then when we go to award the next deal, we look at those metrics again. And is there a place to look at metrics for the other people bidding this job? And if so, we can make real decisions, real cost-effective decisions and control our costs in the future because of past performance or past data that we've accumulated. And I think that's where the industry will start to move as they look to this, you know, manufacturing process of, of the season that we're going to be in as an industry. If that answers your question. <laughs> I talked well, a lot. A, if, <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> that, that makes it good. <laughs> especially on topics I don't know as much about. <laughs> but so my, my follow-up question to that then is, is kind of who, who all is included uh, when we're talking about supply chain? I mean, obviously, like my mind goes to the operators in the industry, right? I mean, obviously, they're the ones kind of pushing the development, right? Pushing the development of, of, the, of this resource, and then they employ all these different companies and use all these different products to do that. So that's where my, my mind starts. But you know, you're also talking about, you know, like hotshot drivers, you're talking... Um, you know, about the manufacturers and the distributors, right? So kind of who all is usually included in supply chain and, and what does supply chain kind of do to manage that? Well, supply chain, supply chain is a very broad term. So, you know, a, an upstream company, a midstream company, an offshore operator, you know, these guys have supply chains in, mo- in most cases, not always, but in most cases they have a supply chain and they have supply chain personnel. You know, within that supply chain, it is supported by those hotshot companies, those pipe companies, those valve companies. But even those companies, the OFS and equipment companies, they have their own internal supply chains, depending on how large they are as an organization. And trucking companies, I mean, trucking companies have to procure trucks. They have to find drivers. They have to, you know, procure technology to you know, support that network and create visibility around that. And, and that's when we look at, at supply chain, we're looking at the whole big picture, which is, you know, that three pronged stool. It's the, the end user, the oil and gas company or the midstreamer. It's the service and supply companies. And then it's the transportation companies because you need all three of those legs on that stool for it to stand up. And, and vertical integration doesn't work so well in this industry, at least not yet. And so you really need a strong, you know, strong legs on your stool to keep it supported when, when oil prices drop. I mean, we're down 255 rigs as of today over year over year. So that's, Mm. you know, when you, when you look at that, it is, you know, the business, the business opportunity is shrinking, you know, because how much pipe does a rig consume? You know, how much, how many drill bits does a rig consume? How much Mm -hmm. trucking does a rig consume? And that's been depleted by 255 rigs over the last year. 
the pot of distributors and the pot of, you know, oil field service companies has remained the same. And the, you know, the pot mm-hmm. of trucking companies is, is experiencing a, a, a contraction as well. They're going out of business. You know, there's also some consolidation in there as well, but, you know, mm-hmm. competition well, it's, it's interesting is, too. is high. Competition is yeah, very it's high. interesting too. Cause like, rig count only show i mean like that's 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 the big number that kind of everybody has it's easier to get but rig count is basically just you know <laughs> it's not like we don't really have counts on completions crews and, and you know and, and other um data points of the industry so i mean like rig counts kind of just show you know the beginning of the trend in a sense so i mean it just trickles down i'm sure all, all the way through the other aspects of the industry industry as well yeah i, I agree i i think that you know, that's one metric that doesn't look at completion rigs. That doesn't look at frack crews. You know, that doesn't take into account, you know, ducks that are out there that need to be completed and, and, and generally things kind of ebb and flow with each other. And, you know, coming from the pipe business, we did upstream and midstream and one kind of complemented the other when we were really busy on drilling programs, the midstream business kind of slowed down a bit. And then vice versa, when we saw the rig counts drop, the midstreamers were still strong to get all of that activity online mm-hmm. and in production. And it just kind of, you know, like a scale, it balanced itself, you know, from, from our business perspective at the time. And I think you, you kind of see that cascading effect in, in the industry, you know, whether that's upstream, midstream, downstream, you know, offshore or any type of energy that's out there. Gotcha. And another thing you mentioned too, I think you said directional and vertical integration. You said we didn't really have that yet in this industry. You kind of elaborate on what that is and why you think we might not have it. I I think vertical integration, I've I've seen it on the supplier side. I've seen it within, you know, some, some larger operators out there. And I, I, so what do you mean by vertical integration? Vertical, uh, an operator has their own transportation, their own, um, manufacturing, you know, you see that in other industries where, you know, a car company owns the tires, they own the parts, they own the products, you know, and they own the infrastructure around it. So they keep everything in the same organization or the same family. Mm. And, and it just, you know, right now competition is tight and that keeps costs low. And, and, you know, you see, you see companies in really good times tend to start, you know, acquiring some of their vendors to, to create that vertical integration. And when things start to go bad, they start to sell them off. And, and so, you know, again, I'm, I'm not the smartest person in the room. So um, I just, I go by what I see and what people are doing rather than what, what people are saying. I think, you can say a lot of things, but to actually do them, I think, shows the real, um, the real picture of of the the dynamics of our industry. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. And also, I guess, kind of anything else that you can think of to kind of to lay out the foundation here in, in terms of supply chain uh, for others who aren't interested, and then we can continue on with uh, specifically like what you guys have done and how you're addressing the issue. Yeah. Or what issues there are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, everything you hear in supply chain, it has become a big buzzword in, in energy. And, you know, mm-hmm. you hear the words, you know, drill within cash flow or operate within cash flow. You know, the, the private markets have dried up. You know, the, the public capital has dried up. 
you know, and, and some, some companies gotcha. can't so even just a bigger push. Yeah. I mean, some companies can't even give away their stock at a 15% dividend, which is insane that they can't even give that kind of investment away, but it's forcing the industry to get better and to evolve into this new season, which, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if you look at like the downturn specifically, I think it was like what, 2015 or something, basically what, as soon as I got into college, it, it hit. Um, but anyways, like one of the, one of the outcomes though, like I remember like, you know, when recruiters were coming on campus and you were talking about their company and, and, and whatnot, and you know, obviously their activity levels spiked way down, but you know, a lot of the, the, the positive feedback from that though, was that it gave them a chance to take a breath. Whereas like previously they were just blowing and going and never really had a chance to do like a look back to try and figure out, you know, what they could be doing better, you know, what's working, what's not working. And, um, that's kind of, kind of sounds like what you're talking about uh, with that now that, that they're trying to figure out those things, uh, for supply chain at the moment. Yeah. I, I think, I think the crashes have naturally created massive opportunities in this business. Uh, it is, mm-hmm. you know, when, when in 2014 and 15, when oil prices collapsed, you know, companies got really, really efficient with, um, you know, just their cost of goods and the way that they handled their business and operators, you know, I, the big buzzwords were, you know, can, can we cut our, our spud to spud time? You know, can we drill faster? You know, and you just, you mm-hmm. see these, um, these enhancements of, of operations in, in any part of the supply chain. It's good. You, you have to have that. That's why, you know, the industry is so powerful is because our energy is so cheap. I mean, if you've ever traveled anywhere else in the world, gas is actually really cheap in the U.S. And that's because, you know, we, we are efficient at what we do. And, you know, and yeah. we've kind of been left to, to go, go figure it out, go work really hard. You know, some companies have gotten run over in the process, but, you know, others have come out very, very strongly. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, anything else in terms of like current climate um, that, that you could see kind of going on right now? Yeah. Lastly, I think, you know, CapEx is shrinking, you know, the, uh, the, the operators that I'm speaking with now, you know, we, one in particular had a, had a CapEx of over a billion in 2019 and 600 million this year and 250 next oh, yeah. year. You know, those are, oh, those man. are big spend drop. That's somebody's revenue. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that is, that is the state of, of the account, the economy. That's, that's one, one operator. That's one example. But I hear it from, from many and that's, that's no stab at the industry, but the, the comment is really, we have to operate within cash flow, And if we don't have the cash, we're not going to do it. And that's, mm. that's why these efficiencies and that's why products like rig call out need to be implemented in the industry is because we have to create an environment that people can maintain their level of activity and, you know, and not have a $500 million reduction in their CapEx. You know, how can we, how can we as an industry or a supply chain help them cut that maybe $250 million instead of 500? Because that, that keeps, that keeps a rig going, that keeps a construction project going, that keeps spend out there, that keeps people in business, that keeps, you know, that keeps my kids playing soccer that keeps somebody's daughter in dance lessons. I mean, it, it's, it's a really big cascading effect when, when people don't build in efficiencies and uh, just continually grow and get better. Yeah. 
Yeah. So base. So I guess what's some of the the big premises to being able to achieve that? So I mean, just getting into like you know specifically like what you guys do, but also like theology, right? On like <laughs> how you can basically keep the same level, but also uh, you know just get, find and, and capture all these efficiencies. I mean, I guess kind of where does that where does that start? It it, it starts in the supply chain. It's where's the fat? You know, it, it's people putting emotions aside and saying, okay, I have, I have two valve companies, you know, and Mm -hmm. one of them is I've, I've been buying valves for 30 years, you know, and you know, they're, they're in line with, you know, where we need to be, but you know, is there another company that sells it 2% less, 5% less, 10% less, Mm -hmm. You know, and, and are we get, getting the same kind of quality? Because you can develop a relationship with anybody. I mean, I cut yeah. my teeth in this industry like anyone. And, you know, and that is developing relationships and, and talking to people mm-hmm. and, you know, not slamming the door in a salesperson's face. Give them five minutes to, <laughs> you know, to, to wow you. And if they don't, move on, you know, and that's, yeah, and that's fine. I just, I really, I really think the first thing that needs to be done is get the emotion out of it. And let's really look at, at a balance sheet and say, you know, can we reduce this cost by 1%? And honestly, too, it also applies to the last mile products like rig callout, because can we squeeze these vendors any tighter without putting them out of business or losing their bandwidth? You know, if you're a bigger company and somebody won't do business with you because you keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing then you mm-hmm. you've lost that that opportunity for a vendor and that's you know you you see that in in you know sand and water logistics right now it's not about getting stuck or lost it's about do we even have the capacity to get all this water out of here you know can we find the mm-hmm. trucks can we find the drivers and and so if if a large segment of those drivers won't do business with you cuz you keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing then you lose even even more bandwidth. And so you want to look at things like that are value that are variable and controllable, which is if mm-hmm. I if I know a truck is going to be four hours late to location, then I can notify a forklift and a casing crew to come four hours later. And I don't have to pay them four hours of standby time to sit there and wait for another vendor to come. And oh by the way, that forklift and that casing crew can go do another job while they're waiting and then they can come back to location. Mm -hmm. And so there's no opportunity lost and there's probably an opportunity for additional business in those situations. You see it, you see it in the midstream world too. You know, you have 30 trucks coming out to location and you have, um, you have a construction crew trying to accomplish five projects. And so if I know trucks are Mm going to be late, I can go work on another project. I can redeploy those crews onto other work versus having them sit sitting there doing nothing. And that's right. That's kind of the answer to your question is let's and it's it's pretty profound too. I mean if you think about probably how when you talk about trimming the fat, how much fat <laughs> is in, you know, uh people just sitting on location, you know, waiting, you know, because logistics didn't work out. Um, or communication didn't happen or something like that. Or, you know, I've even seen, you know, people just finishing a job and just sitting on the pad, you know, it's like, well, are we being charged for this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, here's a lot of opportunity there. Here's the real question a supply chain person should ask themselves, which is a thousand bucks doesn't seem like a lot of money, 
but go, go to one of your investors and say, can I borrow a thousand bucks to pay for something that I could have controlled? And that investor, if they already have money in the company, it's going to start <laughs> asking <laughs> some really difficult questions. You know, it's, yeah, no, when that's it's a good perspective when it's other people's money, nobody cares, but you know, when it's your money or you're accountable for that money, then it matters a lot. You know, you look, uh, David Ransom Wood has an amazing podcast and, and blog, and he talks about this stuff. He's one of the few guys that just calls people out and says, you know, you got to be accountable for, for your actions and your decisions and, and the money that you spend because, you know, at some point, somebody's going to ask a question, you know, hey, John, what are you doing to control your costs? Hey, I noticed we had $5,000 of standby time here. You know, what have we done as a company to mitigate some of those costs and, um, and do that. Because if you asked one of those investors for a $5,000 check, they'd probably laugh you out of their office. <laughs> and if you told them why you needed it, you may be, you may be in the unemployment line. And, and I think that's where the industry will, will really start to, you know, wake up and say, okay, you know, $1,000 here and there doesn't seem like much, but at scale and over 12 months, it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that's a good perspective and a good way to think about it, uh, really. But I'll kind of let you, um, you know, figure out like, what all specifically you want to you want to hit on. I know you kind of had, had a list of, of things we could talk about today um, and we got about 15, 20 minutes left. But so I'll let you kind of steer, but um, definitely there's been good perspective thus far on, on the, the issues and stuff that we're seeing. Yeah, I think the the climate of the supply chain is a, is a is a broad topic. We could go on for hours about it, but you right. know, I think <laughs> I think when you when you call out a problem, you should also bring a solution to it. You know, nobody wants to hear somebody just complain and complain and complain and complain. It's okay, bring me solutions. I might not mm -hmm. pick one of your solutions, but bring me something. Right. And yeah, so that's probably a good transition then. Like, you know, what specifically, um, how are you guys addressing this with rig call out? And I'm, I'm curious how this is all translating into like a controllable kind of electronic <laughs> format, you know, for all of this. Yeah. So, you know, a, a fair amount of software in, in oil and gas is really around uh, heavy implementation companies, you know, the, the, the big enterprise tech companies require, you know, 12 to 18 months or 24 months of implement implementation time and training and rollout. And it's cumbersome for companies to bring it on. And they almost over time, they get, you know, almost PTSD. It's man, we, we rolled out this big ERP system <laughs> and I don't want to go through that again. And, and so, you know, rig call out is, is a SaaS product. It's a cloud-based software product that that was created to have zero implementation, meaning, you know, Derek, I can send you login information this afternoon and you're good to go. And that's really all you need. Now we as a company prefer to educate and train our customers and it doesn't take long, but it's really important that people know this value that we're talking about. Why does this apply to the, to the supply chain? And so what rig Callout does is, our product layers visibility on an existing supply chain. And what I mean by that is we're not a software provider that mandates you use our trucking companies or our trucking network. You can, and we can offer that service, but 
operators and uh, distribution companies have spent a lot of time and resources building their network and they work for them. And so why would we make them change that? So, you know, uh, an operator can use their existing vendor network, their existing carrier network, you know, service and supply companies can do the same thing. Trucking companies can keep their existing customers as well as bring new customers on. You know, we're a sales tool as much as we are a, an efficiency or operational tool. And so, mm-hmm. you know, an, a distribution company can utilize us as that value add that we talked about before. Trucking companies do it today. You know, they're using our product to get business, to say, if you use our product, you'll know where all of your trucks are. You'll know where the deliveries are. So you don't have to waste your time calling and asking and yelling at me and cussing me out and all the things that take place today in, in the supply chain. And so what, what rig callout does is, you know, fundamentally we're tracking trucks out to a drilling rig or to a right of way or to an offshore port. And, and what that does is that visibility allows you to make real decisions. It's not just track and trace. Where's my truck? It's, you know, are my trucks on time? What's on those trucks? If a problem does occur, I have the information and the data in my pocket on my phone to make decisions rather than 20 phone calls, you know, an hour of time waiting for responses and then making decisions. You can pull your phone out, your device out, pull your laptop up and make real time decisions with an array of information and, and, and good software takes an enormous amount of data and presents it in a way that you can just, you can just look at it and know what's happening. And, and that's how we've kind of mapped out our product is to say, you know, if, if I'm a pipe salesman and I pull my phone out, look at the dashboard, I can put it back in my pocket in 10 seconds and I know everything going on. You know, I know the status mm-hmm. of all my deliveries. If somebody's behind, I know how far behind, where they're at, what's going on. It's true, true collaboration. It's getting the trucking companies, the suppliers, and the operators working together to get everything done in an efficient manner. And they can do that because they're not wasting time making phone calls, waiting for responses. Um, the kind of the current state of communication is if a rig needs information, they call, they call their, their sales guy, you know, that sales guy mm-hmm. then calls the trucking company which then calls all the drivers to gather information. And then that process goes backwards to the rig. And then yeah. if it's, <laughs> oh, hey, I forgot to ask you, did this happen? It happens all over again. And, and yeah. then the larger companies add a layer of traffic or logistics in there. So, you know, every rig wants to call the guy that's accountable to the order, which is the sales guy, the account manager, the person who's got skin in the game. You know, if they've screwed up, they're the ones who's they're going to lose commission. They're going to lose a bonus, whatever it is, you know, plus they sold it to them. So they have intimate knowledge of the communication string. So if you add that layer of transportation, it's rig to sales, to traffic, to trucking, to driver, and then back and forth. And, um, and we eliminate all of that because the rig is gathering information from the drivers as well as dispatch, as well as the service and supply company, as well as themselves too. And we, we, gotcha. we, go ahead. 
Oh yeah, sorry. Um, is that basically just gathered um, by like actual like uh, geolocators and stuff in the trucks themselves, or or through people's phones, or kind of what's the how do you go about doing that? Yeah, Derek, that's a great question, and and that's how it's kind of being done now. Um, we 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 opted to go with native applications for devices, and why we do that is because so much of Oil and gas relies on third-party vendors. Uh, that's third-party or brokered freight. You know, 3PLs rely on hundreds of other trucking companies to do their business. Um, you know, small freight brokers rely on hundreds or thousands of other trucking companies to manage their business. And when you when you look at a at a hard hardware uh, GPS unit that you install in the truck. You can't do that when you're past arm's length. You know, if I don't own this truck, I can't put a device in there that I'll yeah. may never see well, again. Well, a lot of companies probably already have, you know, a device in there. So probably not room for one. But I think that the phone would give you more flexibility. Um, my other question in terms of like, you're talking about all these different people having access and you know, everything from the rig to the operator to the you know, the, the salesman, you know, to the, the people who are doing the trucking and everything. Um, who's kind of, who, who pays for, you know, access to the platform? Is it, is it, is it the operator or, or, you know, and then they give access to the vendor and to the salesman and to the truckers, you know, or I guess kind of where does, <laughs> how does, how does that, that model exactly play out or work? I'm just curious. So our, our business model is for all of the above. Anybody that wants to use it can pay for it and use it within their supply chain. So, you know, in the stance of, uh, of an operator, you know, they can purchase our software and all of their vendors and the transportation companies that support their business are included in their license. If I am okay, if, gotcha. if I'm a gotcha. pipe distributor, all of my customers and all of my trucking companies are included in my license. And if I'm a trucking company, all of my customers, my suppliers and their operators are included in that license as well. Oh, okay. Well, we we want a very frictionless sale. There's, there's, a, yeah. there's enough, yeah. there's enough software out there that really complicates this and creates that PTSD that, that we, <laughs> we really want people to come in and say, wow, that was easy and fast. Yeah. That is kind of, it's kind of a one stop in a sense where it's like, you know, you guys, they can get you and then, you know, everybody can, can use it, use the same platform, use this, you know, same software, everything. So. Gotcha. Absolutely. I mean, we kind of got an idea of who the customer is and the value and, and kind of the, the function of, of how all this, um, plays together um i guess kind of you mentioned like the, the five trucks you know not being the problem um how does that kind of all play together then with with the use of of this platform with with rig call out how does that kind of specifically solve that issue because of the third party nature of our product and the the universal application meaning uh, a drilling rig can use this in their supply chain and see all of their vendors on one one dashboard coming out they can see that a particular delivery is at risk for being late or it is actually late, then they can start to make adjustments throughout their deliveries. You know, the fragmentation of the industry is, is really, it really shows that, you know, a, a, an equipment supplier views the processes. Well, my, my one truck was 30 minutes late, big deal. You know, what, mm -hmm. what do I need? The problem is, is, is a rig consumes thousands of trucks, you know, before it moves to the next location. And 
so thousands of trucks over a 30 day period is a lot of trucks per day. And, and so when, when your truck is only 30 minutes late, what is the cascading effect of that delivery? You know, that forklift guy, that truck driver, is that truck driver actually going to lose his next load because he's actually late Mm -hmm. to location? Now that's okay, but having the visibility allows the dispatcher to, to make adjustments on the fly, get another driver on another product. So another piece of the pie is not breaking down. Yeah. I think that's one of the the pet peeves of like um, truck drivers in general, because I think a lot of them get paid by the load. So when they get held up on site, (laughs) they're going to be pretty ticked. You're right. But you know, when, when, when you and I talked earlier about chewing the fat, where's the fat, you know, you Mm -hmm. think about, um, just the process in general of a delivery. Remember the oil field is very fragmented. It's, it relies heavily on third party companies. Mm -hmm. You know, as a pipe company, we had third party yards and third party freight and third party processors you know, and our customers were not, we didn't own our customers. And so, you know, when you look at, I'm dispatching five trucks out to a rig, those five trucks have to be found. They have to arrive at a loading facility. They have to get loaded in a proper amount of time. They have to drive to a location in a predetermined government mandated amount of time. And then they have to unload on location. And all of that rolls into a cost. And so as a supply chain, when you're looking at fat, it's, you know, yeah, we had a late delivery. Who are we going to actually bill or who is accountable for this cost? And so with data that rig callout provides, we can say, you know, are they taking too long to get to the yards? So, you know, mm-hmm. when we told them to be there at 5 a.m., did they actually get there gotcha. at 5 a.m. or 10 a.m.? How long did it take them to get loaded? How long did it take them to drive to location? And then how long did it take to get unloaded? Because sometimes, you know, people out on the rig, because of all these cascading problems, could be taking too long to unload the trucks. And so we can, as an operator, we can look at that and say, we need to figure out our rig site. You know, do we, what, what can we do to be getting these trucks unloaded faster and get them off location? So, you know, as a company, we're not getting bottlenecked or we're not creating bottlenecks. Mm-hmm within our organization. Cause I can tell you if, if the truck shows up on time, but takes too long to offload that vendor is going to charge them for that standby time because the trucking yeah. company is charging their vendors. So an operator can create all of these additional costs as well. So they're, they're not always the victim of the problem. And so what, what gotcha. rig callout does is we remove, you know, we remove the gaming, practices that are paid you know a a truck is not on site until they are physically at location they're not at a yard until they're physically at a yard so they can't just oh i'm at the rig you know oh i'm at the yard they have to physically be there and so that that starts to remove some of the the questionable things that that apply to our industry gotcha and so I guess kind of, you know, I'm sure you, you get some customers and stuff that say they have their own internal kind of solution for <laughs> supply chain and like tracking all this. Um, I guess kind of what's your answer to that or, you know, what kind of do you see common on, on for people to say they've built versus, you know, um, something like this? Yeah. Look, last mile logistics is, is a problem, has been a problem. The, the larger companies with, I guess, vastly more resources than others. 
feel that if there is no solution out there, well, we'll just go build it ourselves. The problem is, is when you're building a product for yourself, you're thinking about yourself. And so these, these homegrown, self-built software products generally don't get adopted by all of these third parties that you rely on for your business because it's not valuable to them. So if, you know, if I'm Chevron. The rollout is a whole lot more complex, in other words. It is more complex because you, you run into innovation stagnation. So if I built it, I, I'm building this to solve a problem. When the problem is solved, then we're done. And so they're not looking to further enhance over time from a, from a competitive standpoint. How do we make our product better so a competitor doesn't enter the space? Um, you know, if a, if a trucking company is getting hammered by the product that they're using, they're going to quit using it because it gets them penalized. It's kind of like ELDs. You know, if I use an ELD, an, an electronic logging device, which the DOT mandates, and all commercial transportation, you know, if, if I do, if I drive too fast, if I drive too long, I'm getting penalized. I can lose my license. I can lose my income. If you're offering a valuable product to them, it is, we just need to know where you're at. I mean, that's really all we care about. You know, I'm calling you because mm-hmm. I need information. And if I already have that information, I don't need to call you or bother you. Yeah. And, and companies don't think about those things. They just say, well, I am so-and-so, I'm so big, they'll use it or we'll get rid of them. And, and the problem is, is if an entire industry doesn't want to use your product, then it, you, you have wasted an enormous amount of capital and resources and personnel that you may have to lay off. And these are all negative consequences gotcha. of, yeah. you know. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I guess kind of to kind of start wrapping up, um, one of the things you had mentioned, you know, is kind of the, you know, long-term vision of, of rig call out, you know, how it's going to evolve or whatever. It's kind of, if you don't mind hitting that. Um, and then also, you know, if people want to learn more or see it in action or, or whatever, kind of uh, where do they go for this? And then we'll start wrapping up. Yeah. So our website is just rigcallout.com, R-I-G-C-A-L-L-O-U-T.com. Uh, we have a company page on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, all the social networks. Uh, our marketing department is always hard at work at um, at great marketing. So if you want to educate yourself on the industry, you want to educate yourself on the problem, we have vast, vast resources for that. Um, and just long-term vision of Rig Callout is really we want to make the supply chain better. We don't want to say that it's all because of a trucking company. We don't want to say it's all because of a supplier. We want to really make this industry efficient and, and mm-hmm. more importantly, the supply chain, you know, vendor performance, you know, it's gotcha. vendors get the short end of the stick. It's not the 999 deliveries that I, I had perfectly executed <laughs> on time. It's the one that blew up in my face that they go on to another, another vendor because of, and if you have the data, not the information or the emotion or the relationship, you have the actual data to say, man, I know, I, I really know I, we had one really, really bad deliveries, but look at the data on the other 999 deliveries that we did. We were on time. These are the, this is the value we created for you in addition to competitive prices and a good product. And, and I think if we can achieve that as a company, then then we have we have executed the vision of of what rig call out should be. Gotcha. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for 
taking the time out of your day to uh, be on our podcast and also help kind of give us a little bit more background about supply chain. And, you know, if any of you guys um, want to reach out to him, you know, feel free to <laughs> with the, with these methods and stuff that, that he's mentioned. And hopefully this episode has provided value to you guys as, as listeners and we can do more of these in the future. But thanks so much, Ryan, for, for being on the line, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Derek. I appreciate your time. Thanks guys again for listening. Like I said, at the beginning of the episode, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, let me know feedback on the episode or on, on this show in general, things you'd like to see done different or things you like what you know why not so please i look forward to um hearing from you guys and getting to learn more about who's listening to the podcast so thanks guys again so much for listening to this episode and we'll catch you in the next episode for some big news take care thanks for listening to the oil Food basics discover podcast we hope you found this episode to be valuable and we look forward to learning more together in our next episode be sure to follow us on our social media and visit oilfoodbasics.com for more great educational content including videos courses and more also be sure to check out our partners digital wildcatters for even more great content including podcasts and video blogs on their own social media and on their own website digitalwildcatters.com if you're interested in supporting the show or in being a guest, please reach out to myself, Derek Craig, through LinkedIn or by emailing contact at oilfoodbasics.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.